This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hi everyone, thank you for listening to this podcast. Um, today I'm joined by Rowan Harris. Um, he's a scenic artist with over 150 film and television credits to his name and has produced paintings, props and scenic artwork for productions, including the most recent Christopher Nolan film Tenet, um, Death on the Nile and also Game of Thrones. Hi Rowan, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's a real pleasure to have you on, um, especially oh. as our first guest. That's great, I'm very happy to do it. Um, I thought we could start off talking a little bit about um, your biography and how you got into the art world and especially how you navigated into the film industry. Yeah, um, I mean, I started with an art degree, so I just studied art, fine art at Chelsea in London. And yes, yeah, so I, I was really a sort of abstract painter at that point in time. Um, I was incredibly fortunate when I graduated that I got picked up by a London dealer. Um, so I started sort of exhibiting my work and did that for in London and New York for about sort of five years. I just worked on my own paintings and pursued that. Um, it became incredibly, it's increasingly difficult really to make a go of it. The sort of art world suddenly changed. Uh, my dealer retired and that sort of caused me to sort of shift and reassess things a bit. And I was amazingly fortunate that I had a father-in-law who was... Um, very successful production designer in the film industry. Did a lot of, sort of quite influential films in the 60s. Uh, and he sort of slowly got me involved in the film industry, initially in the art department. And then I moved into scenic art, yeah, from that. So how did you find that transition then from practicing in your own style and moving into film where you're, it's more prescriptive? Yeah, I mean, it is a totally different world. And people often think because you're working with paint and, and visual media that it's the same thing. And it's actually, in my mind, my very literal mind, I see them as totally separate worlds. And one is you know, quite intellectual pursuit where you're sort of really trying to create your own work and you're trying to be truthful and honest with what you're doing. And film work is about creating an impression, um, you know, usually at speed and usually to a sort of level that's, that works for, in the context of the film, but you know, wouldn't stand up to closer scrutiny than that. So it's a very, very different thing, yeah. How do you navigate that the sort of prescription of um, what they ask you to do versus your um, artistic intention with them? Yeah, I mean, it can be really incredibly different. It's a huge range of different designers out there and working for, you sort of get to know them and what they, how they like to approach things. Um, some of them are very, very prescriptive and something can be very sort of specific. And there's been a lot of meetings with the director and you know, maybe cast about exactly what they want. And that's really trying to, I suppose, understand what they're visualizing um, and then create that, you know, if, that fulfills what they have in their mind's eye, which can be quite difficult to do. And other jobs are much, much more loose where people can give you sort of a whole lot of, they can describe the scene for you, give a lot of sort of suggestive reference of what the, the area they're heading towards um, and really let you run with it. And those tend to be sort of designers that I work with more and know me better. Uh, so yeah, it can, be, it can be a real different range of approaches to each job. Each job is different, really, yeah. Do you always know the context in which your, your piece of work will be used? Not really. I mean, sometimes it can be very secretive and they'll only let you see a tiny section of what you're working on. Um, 
some things you're literally you're just asked to do a painting and you never you know I find out nothing about the setting at all really I'd have to ask if it's seen in a sort of contemporary setting or if they want it to look sort of if it's a uh, an older painting if it needs to look old so that sort of thing's always quite key and then there are other jobs which are much bigger jobs when you're really involved with maybe particular scenes that are scripted um those those sort of things you know tend to be classed as hero and they're much more you get much more involvement in that scene and much more sort of description of the scene and then other jobs like i'm doing at the moment where there are you know a whole lot of different sets yeah, you get much more involved in the actual filming process and what needs to be seen and who's in which set at which time. Yeah, so again, it can be a whole range. Yeah, really. Yeah. That must be quite refreshing to have a variety of that because I think art, art production at least could definitely be quite a solitary process. So having that collaborative aspect as well. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I love that interaction with the people and people I work with. And, you know, it's it's something I really enjoy about the industry. It's a very tight industry where everyone knows everyone else and you have to work along in, you know, quite difficult, uh, you know, sort of situations sometimes. So rubbing along with the rest of construction, it's, yeah, it's that's a great, great part of the job, I'd say. Not for work? everyone. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, everyone, not everyone loves it but yeah I do yeah. I'm sure do you always produce works do you produce them in a studio or on site or how does that side of it so work I've got a workshop in London where I've got quite a big area so I can paint you know, pretty big um, canvases there sometimes I do them in sections um, but I've got a big painting wall there and anything smaller than about so it's about 30 foot by 10 foot anything smaller sorry I'm talking feet not meters yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> anything smaller than that I do in there if I can but at the moment I'm working one where it's all on the sort of built set so the sets are being built as I'm and then I paint as soon as they're built and that's all on the stages at the studios which are primarily dotted around the outskirts of London Oh, lovely. Sort of Hertfordshire area, like Leaveston and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, Leaveston up in the north, exactly, and Pinewood and Shepparton to the west, yeah. Yeah, yeah. oh, very Others nice. up all over the place, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have quite an active role then in that sense of being able to move about and interact with a lot of people. Do you find, um, sort of with the breadth as well of medium and style, how do you navigate? Do you have a research process for a piece if you're given like a particular time period or person? That you need yeah, to that's sort of something I, because I've got the sort of fine art background that I did myself and I've always been really interested in the arts. It's something I really enjoy um, and I absolutely love that. I do find, you know, some days in comparison to how my father-in-law was a designer with his sort of massive library, which we still have this extraordinary extensive library of reference books. And you get these really interesting references and really can delve into a period and these days, a lot of things are a bit more sort of page one of a Google search, which I don't really, yeah, so I do, I tend to do a lot of research myself. Because um, it's just really gets you into that world, you have to get your head into that, you know, that particular world and how people worked at that particular period. And yeah, I love that because I love looking at the originals. And yeah. what I do the approximation of that, but I just, you know, have such respect for the original artwork normally. So yeah, it's a great pleasure for me. Are there any particular styles that you enjoy recreating more than others or that you find more challenging? Um, 
I really like, I mean, there are a lot of different styles I really enjoy. So I often get asked to do sort of medieval recreations. I'm, I love that sort of world. I love, um, you know, sort of the in, arts of India and subcontinent. Uh, I love abstract painting. So it's a whole range of things that I really enjoy. I love tapestries. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of icons, orthodox icons I'm breaking on. So there's a lot of things I really love. And then there are other, some, some areas where it's more sort of, comes to sort of photographic realistic things it's not I just get less pleasure from it I suppose I've never been trained as a portrait painter so if I do that I'm sort of feel I'm bluffing it a bit and it's it's not an area that I yeah it's also a particularly tricky area in film creating portraits because you know you get actors involved directors involved everyone having a slightly different vision they all want it to look like a Velasquez Velasquez <laughs> you know it's a difficult one. So I sort of try and stay away from that area as much as I can, yeah. yeah. I mean, for example, um, with your work on the girl with the pearl earring, when you were recreating that Vermeer portrait, what, how did you approach that? Do you um, get sort of high resolution copies of the original and sort of work backwards or? Yeah, yeah exactly. That, I mean, that was, that, that was actually only a, a sample for the original version of the film. And then that film folded, it went under and was remade later. Um, so yes, that was a sample that sort of got me the job on that initial making of the film. And uh, exactly as you said, I had a really high resolution print of it to work from, yeah, yeah. Is it, do you find it frustrating when your work isn't used or is it more the process that you enjoy creating it? I mean, sometimes can be a bit disappointing, but I suppose, you know, if you see, you know, you put a lot of work into something and it just doesn't appear, the scene's cut or something, it can't be yeah. a bit disappointing. But really, for me, the pleasure is is the making, yeah. I don't always get involved, you know, I don't choose films because I'm interested in what the film is. I, I, I do films because I enjoy the process and the work and the people I'm working with, yeah. Just talking about tapestry work briefly with the favourite, um, those wall tapestries, how, I mean, they're huge. Did you work on a big team with them? And are they actually tapestries or are they okay, um, that, that, film yeah, magic? That, <laughs> they're not film magic and that's a bit deceptive. I put the photo there, I think on my website because I did really love working on that film, but that was set in, um, is it Hatfield House? I can't remember the name of the house. It's a big Elizabethan Jacobean house up in Hertfordshire. And a lot of the tapestries in there are real um, 16th or 17th century tapestries. Oh, wow. And I had to paint tapestry to get to fit in where they, there were key areas which they needed. So it was an amalgamation of real and, and my painted there. And I definitely didn't paint all the ones in that. You know, you yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that would take you quite a while. <laughs> yeah. That would have been a huge job, yeah. I mean, with um, the Harry Potter one as well, with the family tree, was that um, sort of a similar thing of like using reference tapestries and then um, imitating them or was yeah. that more of a, an independent design? I mean that's a really, they're very, they were very unusual the Harry Potter films and you know they, they had very large budgets and a, a huge amount of time was spent on developing things so that one there was a lot of, I, I basically did a sample initially because I've done quite a lot of tapestries before just trying to show the technique of how you could make paint look like tapestry enough film purposes. Um, then there was a whole period of developing the right fabric for that based on the fabrics which I use, but they wanted a sort of coarser one, which had to be sort of woven. And then they used, they created a, an artwork, a graphic for it, 
which was incredibly specific. I think all the characters have their names there, but the actual heads are taken from the Devonshire tapestries, which are in the V&A, which is an absolutely fantastic series of tapestries in the V&A. So the heads were picked from that, and I really concentrated on the heads, and then I worked with someone else on it, and we had a sort of team of assistants. But that was quite as that was one where you had to follow the design quite literally. Yeah, you had to. I mean, you had to bring out that quality of tapestry, but the design was quite clearly laid out, and there was a lot of sort of higher up decisions in how it should look. So yeah, you had to follow it pretty literally. In terms of aging something to make it look from a particular era, is that something is on a technical level, did you develop that um, sort of like by trying different techniques that you felt suited a work more or less, or were you already, was it like a technique you'd already learned? Well, really, I mean, whenever I work on a film set, I'm, it's always a collaboration. So you work that there are scenic artists and there are scenic painters and scenic painters are the painters who paint all the sets, all everything that's painted, they will be doing. And they often, the situation is that the scenic artist paints a mural and then the scenic painters will come in and age it. So I've learned a lot of technique. I mean, they're absolutely extraordinary with their te techniques. The best ones are really, really good. Um, so I learned an awful lot from working with these painters. And now as sort of time passed, I, I do a lot of the aging myself. Yeah, so they are quite specific techniques. Um, and there are quite a lot of different ways of doing it. Yeah, but it's, yeah. It's pretty technical, yeah. Yeah, it must be really enjoyable to have um, the constant challenge of every project being quite different. Who have you found the most challenging to replicate? For example, with um, A Lonely War, when you did that Moor sculpture, is that an amalgamation of your own design ideas and an original Moor sculpture? And is it um, technically made in the same way that his work was? No, uh, well, actually I say no, but I've... I don't know a huge amount about Henry Moore, but I think in later life he did use polystyrene to carve and cast from polystyrene. So yeah, that was cast, carved in polystyrene um, and then coated and then sprayed with bronze powders and sort of polished and polished to get that finish. I mean, the, the thing, I mean, it was a long time ago I made that. I don't really do sculptures anymore. Uh, the thing that was really, that, is, that makes me feel very awkward about stuff like that and I actually, you know, to be honest, I feel quite uneasy about it is when it comes too close to the art of a particular artist. And that's obviously a huge issue with clearance. It's become increasingly so, quite understandably. And, you know, I do feel awkward when, you know, so they'd give you something, they ask you to create it, they want it to look like that, but it has to look different from the original enough to not cause issues with the estate and copyright. So it's, it's a fine line and it's something I don't feel totally easy with, I suppose, yeah. But the technique for that would be totally different from anything I do painting-wise these days. That, these, that, that sort of technique would be uh, in the Department of Sculptors these days, you know, and I wouldn't really get involved in that. It's just in the early days, I did a bit of everything. With the Rembrandt portrait from um, Children of Men, do they give you sort of like a legal framework that you have to work within um, in terms of making reproductions of of works um that one, in relation in, in comparison to the henry moore where the, I, I don't think there was clearance they just asked me to alter it um with the children of men from memory they had clearance so they went to the owners of all those i mean actually created a whole sort of room of rembrandts for that film and i think everyone would have gone through clearance whoever owned the copyright to that particular image so then you know, i was allowed to copy them directly 
yeah, and when you're talking about technique, I, mean, I did spend a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of time, and I still do spend a lot of time looking at Rembrandt. And, you know, sometimes you can look at paintings and the more you look at it, you can understand how something is done. You look at a Rembrandt, the closer you look, it's, it's just a total anathema to me. Sometimes I just do not understand how that paint is applied or it's really quite extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, so oh. those are very challenging. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Do you do you ever keep your pieces, or do you get attached to them in any way, or are they very much sort of your work? I, I see it purely within the context of the film. When sometimes things come back, sometimes things are kept, and then I see them being rented out. Yeah. Incredibly annoying. No, <laughs> I would rather that they just sit in the film, and that's it for me. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of. Um, your like personal relationship with art for you um who inspires you in your own like personal artistic pursuits i don't do my own work anymore i laid it one side and stopped it i sort of i tried i thought i'd be able to balance the two um initially time wise i thought i'd be able to sort of maybe do six months of film work and then six months of my own work that proved really difficult and I just found, as I said at the beginning, I just found that for me, I have a very sort of literal mind and, and the mindset of, of one job, whereas creating sort of artifice the whole time began to sort of seep into my own work and made it really impossible for me to go on doing it. Um, yeah, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't equate the two. I couldn't balance the two. So now I just do film work. I'm very happy with that. It's fine. Yeah. Is your is your general um, sort of like work pattern within a year, um, like bursts of months where you're quite busy or? It's just changed unbelievably in the last few years. So sort of, I'd say over the last five years before the pandemic, yeah, so if you look back sort of 10 years ago, there'd be maybe two or three big films and some smaller films being made in the UK at any one point in time and so maybe some TV series, obviously. Um, now each of the studios, I mean, I actually lost track of what films are being made. So somewhere like Leaveston, there's most probably sort of six or seven huge budget films being made just in that location. And then there's Disney's based at Pinewood, Netflix is based in Sheffield. So the quantity of work has just gone through the roof, particularly post pandemic. It's not, it's, I've never seen anything like it and nor has anyone else. And yeah, there's more work, I mean, yeah, I could work every day of the year if I wanted to, but I don't. It's, yeah, I'd love to say there were big, big gaps, but I sort of most probably now need to just book them off as holidays because there is more work than it's manageable. Yeah, it's very, very busy. In terms of the industry changing, um, like with coronavirus and things, have you noticed with the increase of technology like CGI and things like that, that's changed the nature of your work or? I made a very clear decision really on early on. So a traditional scenic artist, the traditional role is to paint a backdrop, the backings that go around the edge of the stage, which you sort of see off, you know, the view out of a window or whatever. I decided really on not to early on not to do that and just go for the sort of murals and the more artistic end of stuff. And that's was just really fortuitous because it's really grown hugely with increased um, sort of quality, high definition. People want it more. People want a higher level of finish. So I'd say there's more work in my area than ever before. As a traditional scenic artist, if you were painting backings, there's most probably a lot less. There's still about 15 people who, scenic artists in the UK, I'd say around that, who work in the film industry um, most of the time. But yeah, less and less backings, I'd say. And there's, you know, there's blue screen, which obviously created a huge dent in that. 
and now they're actually digital projected screens as well, which are, is a sort of new thing coming on. And I, I imagine that's going to, although it's very expensive, is going to have an impact on it as well. Yeah, sure. So I'm just lucky with what I chose, I think, really. With your work on Beauty and the Beast, when you have, um, I think there's a wall mural of Gaston and in the film, he mimics the stance. It's very like meta-referential. How does yeah. that work? Are you sent reference photos and then you work from those or? Uh, I think I must have been given a reference photo for that. I can't remember that clearly. Um, yeah, I remember it was like a bar scene or something, I imagine it's- Yeah. Yeah, so I think I had photographs and they, yeah, sort of layout of what they, what they required for that. Yeah, and there's probably costume references as well, I think. Yeah, so some you get some sort of detail for that, definitely, yeah. And when you paint real people, um, for example, like people who are fairly well-known, do you feel some sort of pressure to like make sure that it looks as like them as possible? Or are you ever requested to alter their appearance? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a really tricky one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have, I have painted some people which have, let's just say they don't, they, they, they yeah, they need to look at, they, they're very involved with how they look and their image if it's a sort of high ranking actor and that can be a very, very difficult job to do, yeah. Do you yeah. ever um, paint people in person or is it usually just from no. photos and things? I mean, normally you wouldn't, they wouldn't give you the time to do that. It would be, you know, I mean, everything has to be done extremely quickly for film. It's, you know, it's, the speed is almost, you know, making it, making it look right, but doing it at speed is definitely a key part of the job. And I've never, yeah, I've never had an actor or an actress for me, definitely. What's the sort of shortest time frame that you'd expect to work in um, on like a small project, I suppose? Well, I mean, small, you know, just to do a, a painting, depending on what the painting is, it could just be sort of two or three days. If someone just asked for one specific small painting, it would just be that, you just do that and that's gone. Um, yeah, so it can be very, very small. And then sort of something, you know, has been doing the prequel to the Game of Thrones, that sort of last year, that sort of ran over a whole year, on not constantly, but on and off over a whole year. So it can... That's a particularly long one here. Yeah. Normally, I'd say normally a sort of big film for me, I'd get about maybe three months, three to four months would be a big, it's a big job for me, yeah. And how many projects will you juggle at the same time? If they're small, I can do sort of four, maybe four, maybe even five. I mean, I've got one woman who started with me as, a, as an assistant about 10 years ago and now works with me as a colleague really. And then on the film, we've, we've got a lot of, sort of junior assistants trying to get new people in, really need new people to pick up. Uh, yeah. A lot of us doing it, getting on a bit, and it, it could do with some new blood. So we're trying to get sort of new people in and train them up a bit. Um, and I suppose the more people you have that you can move around, the more jobs you can take on at a time, yeah. In terms of for people who would be interested in doing the sort of role that you do, what would be your like main pieces of advice for them? I think to work as an assistant, I, I really, um, you know, I think it's really important to have a knowledge of art. I think people who've got, who are really passionate about art and spend a lot of time looking. I feel the key thing is to look at paintings, to love paintings, to love, you know, to study the history and just look, not online, actually go and see the things and work out how people paint them and appreciate that. And then I, th I do think it's best most probably to work as an assistant, trying, which is hard to do, but to try and get in as an assistant 
not to go and do a course. There's a, there's a bit of a sort of confusion about people who do scenic courses that are more theatre orientated, where you learn skills which a, which a scenic artist in the film world wouldn't do. You learn you, a lot of the skills you learn there would be to do with scenic painters. And in the film industry, scenic painters and scenic artists are very different. So for me, I'd, I would try and get some sort of apprenticeship or, or assistant role with one of the scenic artists, yeah. What do you enjoy most about the fusion of art and film? Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose one of the reasons I turned away from my own practice is I, I, I got disillusioned with the art world. I've, you know, I, I've got a real passion for art, but the way the art world functions, I've got real reservations about. Um, and that increased from sort of the 1980s onwards. It's sort of gone on a, on a trajectory all of its own. So yeah, um, art within film, I don't know. I mean, I, I love, there's a lot of filmmaking that I really love. It tends to be the work, you know, the ones I tend to get work on tend to be a different sort of film. They're sort of more the blockbuster, you know, popular type of film. Um, there are ones I've worked on, like The Favourite, which I thought was sort of, you know, really stood out as a, as a real artwork. And it's, yeah, it's, it's wonderful to be a part of that, really. Yeah. In a small way, I like, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and as a final question, and in terms of um, like your own interest in art, who is your favourite artist, if you could pick one? I, ca I can't really pick one. So, I, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of artists which I love and stand out, but it's, I haven't got an absolute favourite. I can't say who I've <laughs> It also changes. I sort of focus on one person. You know, recently I'm very into Bruegel. Previously I could be very into Vermeer. You know, it's, it, it shifts, you just sort of, the, the focus shifts. I find, I find quite a sad point in life that I, I don't find anyone new that I think, I, I don't feel I've discovered, I could, I'm sort of can discover anyone, if there's anyone out there which I haven't discovered yet, I, I feel slightly sad about. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's within the people I love already throughout all the history of art and I just sort of shift my focus normally on those. Yeah, I, I suppose having such an encyclopedic knowledge that is very helpful like in your job, but um, on a like personal passion level, it must be interesting to feel at sort of the top of all of that. Thank you very much for joining us um, and for giving your time. Uh, it was okay, it was great. Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.